This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. Where there can be nothing more frustrating in the Christian life as to day by day wonder, do I really have a relationship with Jesus Christ? When you think about it, how can you have joy? How can you have peace? How can you have this satisfaction of knowing that one day when I pass from this life, I'll enter into life in heaven with God? If you're not sure of something, it's frustrating. You say, well, I need to have a pretty day tomorrow. I need to have great weather tomorrow. But you're not sure that there'll be great weather tomorrow. You say, well, I want my team to win the Super Bowl. But I'm just uncertain that they'll win it. And that brings some frustration. But when you're not sure that you're saved, when you're not sure that you truly are a child of God, and then when you die that you'll go to heaven, that is frustration that can't be fully explained. I've talked with many people in my office and around the city, and people come up to me quite often and say, how can you really know that you're saved? How do you have this no-so salvation? And uh, when they ask me that question, my first thoughts are, it's going to take me a while to tell them. And I look at my watch and I think about how much time do I have, and then the Holy Spirit convicts me, Chris, you got all the time in the world to deal with them on this subject. And so usually I say, meet me somewhere, or let's sit down and talk, because I can't just tell them, just trust God and move on. Because they need more than that. They need somebody to help them free them up in this area of doubt. I have found on many occasions that most people's doubt, it's not so much that they do not believe what the Word of God says about salvation. Most people doubting about salvation, their doubt does not really lie so much in their intellect and what they know of the Word of God. Their doubt lies within their emotions. Am I truly saved? I just don't feel saved. And so therefore their doubt lies in their emotions. And you know, our emotions really, they are the shallowest part of our being. I agree with that. But at the same time, we have them and they can play tricks on us. But it's very frustrating of being uncertain about your salvation. And so what many people do, they don't want to tell anybody. That's a source of pride. They don't want to tell anybody. I'm, I'm doubting. So they're prideful. And so what they do is they say, I'm just going to try harder in the Christian life to be saved. Or I'm just going to try harder and somehow this doubt's going to go away. And so they begin to try hard. They begin to attend a local church somewhere. They roll up their sleeves and they get to work. And thank God for people who serve in the church. We need more people doing that. But we need people doing this motivated the right way instead of the wrong way. And so they begin to be church workers. In their service to God, they think, somehow, I'm going to get His acceptance by all that I do. And they work and work and work. Months, maybe years go by, and they realize emotionally still, they feel like, I'm not sure that I'm saved. And so, in their emotional makeup, they think, have I done enough? And what I've done, is it good enough? Have I done enough? And is the quality of my service, is it good enough? And it's like God never whispers or shouts or anything and says... You've done enough, and what you did was good. You don't hear that. And so there's only one other place to look. You begin to compare yourself with other Christians. You begin to see, how much does he do? How much does she do? I'm going to do just a little bit more than they do. And surely, I'm going to merit salvation and acceptance from God. And you know, this goes on with people who can quote to you that salvation is by grace. They'll tell you that. They'll tell you it's not works. They believe that. But in their emotions, 
is a whole different story. They strive to get God's acceptance, and they strive to maintain their salvation. It's a form of bondage. It's a cycle that many people are in, and it goes on and on and on. What is salvation? Well, I've got a definition here that came from Charles Ryrie in his basic theology book as a textbook. What is salvation? Salvation includes the total work of God in bringing people from condemnation to justification, from death to eternal life, from alienation to filiation, and all of the blessings that being in Christ brings both in this life and the life to come. What is salvation? It's when a person puts their trust where God has put their sin on Jesus and ask Him to come in their heart. They believe, they trust that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and that covers their sins. They believe that and they receive His eternal life, which is the Holy Spirit. It's not living in heaven forever. It's the Spirit of God coming into you, giving you His life, which is eternal, and then taking you out of Adam, the first man. We all came from Adam and placing you in Christ Jesus, taking you out of Satan's kingdom, placing you in Christ's kingdom. That's salvation. That's what it's all about. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be saved. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 John chapter 5. And this really is just a starting place for me because I want to explain this in such a way that it's so simple. I'm going to have to go to other verses of the Bible to explain this whole issue of eternal security. And again, the title of this message is Eternally Secure and Forever Sure. First John chapter 5, I'll read uh, verses 10 through 13. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness, notice, in himself. Right off the bat, I can tell you this. One of the best ways that I know to know that you're a child of God is you have the Holy Spirit within you whispering to you, witnessing to you, speaking to you. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. You say, well, you can't make God a liar. Well, that's true. God is not a liar. But not to believe the Word of God is as if you're saying that God is a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things... I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. The reason he's written this is that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, I want to give a list of reasons why people doubt their salvation. What are reasons that people doubt their salvation? Well, I believe the first and probably the most important reason that a person just doubts. And it's because of personal sin. In other words, yes, I thought I was saved, but I have continued to sin since I was saved. Well, I'm not making light of it, but all of us have. Who has not sinned since they were saved? I'm not making light of this at all. But we all have sinned since salvation. Now, Some people say, well, if you practice sin, that's evidence that you've never been saved. Possibly. Possibly. If you're practicing the same sin over and over and over, that's a chance you've never been saved. But the truth is this. We've all sinned since salvation. 
Sin, by its very nature, we know, separates. You know, before you were saved, the Bible teaches that you were born in Adam, you inherited sin from Adam, S-I-N, singular. And because you are born with S-I-N, sin, we all commit actions of sins, plural. And when Jesus Christ came to die on the cross, He came to die for sin and sins, all sins. Why? Because that sin separates mankind from God the Father, because God can't be in the presence of sin. And so therefore, something had to bridge the gap between God and man, because God so loved the world that He wanted a relationship with mankind that was sinful. So He sent His Son, Jesus, we know, to become our sin, to die and be our substitute, to bridge the gap between man and God by the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so we know that sin always separates. Personal sin, by its very nature, separates. Now, you say, but Chris, we are children of God. We are saved. And your message is on eternally secure and forever sure, speaking to believers who are doubting their salvation. That's true. The thing that must be clear is this. If you're a child of God, you've entered into a relationship with God that can never change. You've been adopted into Christ Jesus. You've been sealed in Him by the Holy Spirit. You cannot lose your relationship with God. It's impossible. If you could, think about it. If you could lose your relationship with God, all of us would have already lost it. Because all of us have sinned since we were saved. You can't lose that. You say, Chris, we have a license to sin, don't we? No, we do not have a license to sin. We have a license to live a holy life is what we have. But we have sinned. We don't lose our relationship, but we do find, because sin separates, we find ourselves out of fellowship with God. Not out of relationship, but out of fellowship with God. Some people call that communion, and probably communion is a better word. Everything's wonderful. You're walking along with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you're a child of God, and He's in you, and you're in Him, and, and uh, everything's just wonderful. Maybe two or three weeks after you're saved, everybody can tell a difference in your life. And then you enter into some kind of sin. You commit a sin. Maybe it's something that you struggle with before you were saved. But nonetheless, you have acted on an impulse, on a temptation, and you sinned after you're saved and you feel guilty. And so, instead of confessing it and putting your trust again... Uh, not for salvation, but knowing that His uh, shed blood cleanses you from all sin, even your future sins. You don't confess it and repent of it, and so therefore you carry this around with you and you feel guilty for a long time. You won't deal with it. And then you begin to feel this separation. Yes, you are a believer. You're in relationship with God. And if you die, you're going straight to heaven. But because of this unconfessed personal sin in your life, it makes you feel separated from God in your communion and in your fellowship with Him, and you begin to wonder, am I even saved? That's where a lot of people's doubt lies, is in personal sin. Take a husband and a wife. They have this argument. He knows he's right. She knows she's right. I know you've never done this, but just an example. And so they get so angry with one another that they stop communicating with one another. They stop communing with one another. They still are married, legally married. They still live under the same roof. But because they're not talking to one another and having meaningful conversation with 
one another anymore, they begin to doubt the love that they once thought that they had. They're married, under the same roof, sleep in the same bed, but there's no real meaningful conversation, no real communion, no real fellowship anymore. But they're still in a marriage contract. They still have a relationship as husband and wife. They're one flesh. When personal sin comes into our life and we let it just stay in there and we don't confess it, repent of it, and move on, we feel guilty before God. And then days, months, years go by. We feel like we're not worthy to commune with Him and worthy to fellowship with Him. We don't lose our relationship. He never leaves you or forsakes you. This is what happens. You and I, we walk out on Him in fellowship and communion. In fellowship and communion. You say, well, how do you do that? How can you do that? Well, not reading His Word. Honestly, ask yourself this question. Did you really spend time in God's Word this week? Now, I'm not saying you busted it and spent hours upon hours. I know some people can't do that because of time constraint. But there should have been at least a quiet time, at least 15 minutes, but hopefully longer than that, just because you desire to spend a little time in God's Word, praying, listening to Him, and talking to Him. You know, sometimes we can stay out of God's Word so long that we don't even feel guilty anymore that we don't read it. It's just that we've been doing this so long that it's become natural not really to read God's Word. And what kind of puts a little salve on that just a little bit is the fact, well, I do go to church and I don't miss church. You know, a lot of people go to church and they never miss, but during the middle of the week, they don't really read God's Word. And part of that is because when they read God's Word, they begin to feel guilty. Why? Because there's some personal sin in their life that God lovingly has His finger on, but you're saying, I, I don't want to deal with that yet. I don't want to stop that. I want to keep doing that. I, just leave me alone. And so, just don't really pray. Don't read God's Word. Don't really spend time with Him. Sometimes you find people, they used to be at church here. They're still members here, but I don't think they're going anywhere. You know, a lot of that is there's personal sin in their life. And they're not necessarily trying to hide it. They feel guilty. And when they get around church and Bible and prayer and other believers, it increases that guilt. In other words, deep down, the wisest thing they could do is just get on their knees. And whatever this thing is, to confess it, ask God to forgive them, stand up, thank Him for His forgiveness based on the finished work of Christ on the cross, and move on in the Christian life. That would be the wise thing for people to do. But most Christians, I'm including me, will nurse something for days, months, years, and it causes that sense of distance and not being out of fellowship with God. And so you begin to realize that something's wrong and you don't deal with it. And you begin to feel this distance between uh, you and God. Now, if I were to leave my watch on this pulpit here and you noticed that nobody was looking and you thought, well, I'd like to have his watch. And uh, so you came up here and you uh, you got my watch. You put it in your pocket. Now, I didn't see you. Nobody else saw you. God saw you. He knows everything. And at first you think, wow, I got a good watch, didn't have to pay a penny for it. But if you truly are a child of God, the Holy Spirit is lovingly convicting you. You got his watch. That's not your watch. Go give it back to him and all these things. So you come back to church tonight. Are you going to sit right down here on the front? Are you going to come up to me afterwards and say good sermon or enjoy that or whatever? Are you going to sit at the back? And if I do kind of look your way, even though I'm looking all over it, you think, he knows. I think he knows. Do you realize when there's personal sin in our life that we just will not deal with? That's what we feel inside. 
That's what keeps us from avoiding God by not reading His Word, by not praying, and eventually not even really going to church anymore. Maybe just Sunday mornings only, possibly. That's what happens. And there's only one thing that can be done about it, is to get it over with and confess it and repent of it. You say, well, why, why do we have to do that if Jesus Christ has already died on the cross for that? This is why. It's not to restore your relationship. That's intact. You've never lost that. You're out of communion with God. You're out of fellowship. Why? Because you feel guilty. And when you confess it and repent of it, it purges your guilty, stained conscience. And you bring it out into the open, agree with God that what I did, number one, was against you. And you confess it and repent of it and move on. That's what I do in my own life. Feel guilty about something, confess it, repent, and move on. That's the only way we can live as Christians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, listen, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And what did He do? He raised us up together and... If you're a child of God, this is speaking of you. He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're a child of God whenever you became a Christian or whatever age. God took you out of Adam. He placed you in Christ. God sees you right now already in heaven. Because Christ is at the right hand of the Father. And you are no longer in Adam. You're in Christ, seated by His right hand. And verse 7 says, in Ephesians chapter 2, says that in the ages to come, speaking of eternity, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know what this is saying? Your sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. When you put your childlike faith in Him, it was applied to you. Your sins were covered past, present, future. God took you out of Adam, placed you in Christ Jesus, and for all eternity you are a trophy of His grace. How could that be possible if you could lose your salvation? He'd have to take you out of heaven, put you back in Adam. He doesn't do that. If you've been saved, you're saved forever. You're in a relationship with God, but you may be out of fellowship with God, out of communion with God, and it makes you think emotionally that I'm lost. And so we see that one of the reasons people doubt their salvation is personal sin. A second reason that people doubt their salvation is wrong teaching. Wrong teaching. Maybe when you were a child or when you were a brand new Christian, you came underneath a minister or a Bible teacher somewhere, and the truth is they had some things filed up. You Maybe you were under some wrong teaching. Maybe the teaching that you were under was from a liberal minister. Liberal. You say, what do you mean? Well, a minister that doubts and questions that God's Word is God-breathed. It's inspired. And he says, well, you know, you can't really say that all of Scripture comes directly from God. It's not God-breathed. Listen to me. If you question any portion of the Word of God, you have to question all of it. And the moment a man begins to say something like, well, maybe the virgin birth really didn't happen. There's some explanations there. Or if he says, well, the, you know, the miracles of Jesus, there's plenty of ways to explain away those miracles. Or when it comes to the resurrection, well, he just swooned. He didn't really die. My friend, when a minister, a teacher begins to teach in such a way like that, you need to get away from them as fast as you can because they are wrong, dead wrong. 
And that's what's happened to a lot of people. And it grieves my heart when I begin to listen to people tell me they doubt their salvation and then realize what they've been under. They've been under wrong liberal teaching. They begin to doubt the very basics of Christianity, begin to doubt it, and there lies their doubt of their own salvation. Well, if these things are not true, how can I know that the work of Christ on the cross is even true? It all goes out the window. So wrong teaching is one reason people doubt their salvation. It may be liberal teaching, but not only liberal teaching, there may be a teaching that I call performance. A lot of ministers, especially in our Baptist churches, whether independent or Southern Baptist, it's sad. But some things have bled over. If you read the Baptist Faith and Message put out by Herschel Hobbes, it was revised not long ago. If you read that, there's not one thing in there I question. I agree with it wholeheartedly. But if you listen to men preach, whether it's an independent Baptist church or a Southern Baptist Church, a lot of times you'll realize some things that they're preaching. They don't realize this. The Baptist faith, the message does not line up with Scripture. It may be their interpretation of it. And a lot of what I've seen in the past, when I was young growing up, and what I see even today, is what I call, it's not liberal. Boy, they'll tell you in a skinny minute, King James only. They'll tell you in a skinny minute it's God-breathed and uh, the virgin birth is true and the miracles of Jesus are true and the resurrection is true. Boy, they don't back off of any of that. And there's only one way to heaven, it's through Jesus Christ and their shed blood. And that is all accurate. They believe that way. But there's some other things they begin to teach in such a way that I don't even think they realize they do it, but puts believers, you and me, puts us on a performance track. Yes, salvation is by grace. But now that salvation is over with, to get his acceptance, you got to perform. That's a form of bondage that causes people to doubt. Uh, you may have been taught initially, before you were saved, a works salvation. In other words, they may have taught you in such a way that they put such a heavy focus on your behavior and, and the kind of uh, the way you dress and uh, things like this, and uh, maybe even baptismal regeneration. You've got to be baptized to be saved or, or all kinds of, of things that you may have come from that kind of teaching. And so therefore, yes, you do doubt your salvation. Why? Because your behavior is not always what it ought to be. And so you may doubt your salvation for that. But now you may have been accurately taught that salvation is not by works. But somehow subconsciously you've been taught that your acceptance before God is by works. And I can tell you this. If your salvation is by grace, your acceptance is also by grace. has nothing to do with your performance. It has to do with the performance of Jesus Christ. On the cross, it's kind of like in the athletic world. You watch the Olympics, and they do the high jump. Uh, Each time a person uh, jumps the bar and clears it, what do they do? They raise it up one notch. And then, boy, they rear back, and they take off again, and they make it again and clear it. And in their minds, they're thinking, I know I can't get any higher than this. But they clear it. What do they do? Raise it again. They're going to continue to raise that until somebody, I guess, jumps to the moon one day. I don't know. But it'll always be raised. And if you've been under wrong teaching, whether it's liberal teaching that just doubts the Word of God, or whether it's a form of performance to get God's acceptance, you can know this. You'll always wonder, have I done enough? I've done a lot, but in all that I've done, did I do good in all that I've done? You'll always wonder that. And it's performance. Uh, It's bondage. Our performance for God should be out of love 
for what He's already done on our behalf, not trying to measure up to this unseen standard somewhere. And I just remind you of this. You say, what is the standard? His name is Jesus. He is the standard. He came here sinless. He became our sin and died with it. He is the standard. And you and I, as children of God, have been baptized into Christ who is the standard. Therefore, we don't meet the standard by what we do. We meet the standard by what He did on our behalf. It is by grace and grace alone. He is the standard. And if you're a child of God, you're in Him and He's in you. And when you stand before the Lord one day and He says, Why should I let you into heaven? Only one thing you can say is because your son Jesus Christ died for all of my sin. S-I-N that I was born with that I got from Adam and all actions of S-I-N-S that I would ever commit. And you baptized me by the Holy Spirit into Christ Jesus. So therefore, I stand inside of Christ. He's going to say, come on in. But anything other than that is performance. It's a form of bondage. I never forget when I was in seminary sitting in class one day. And, and you know, you had some of the students there that were already pastoring churches. And I never will forget this one guy. I used to always be impressed with him. He was so sharp. He didn't even have to try. I mean, he just accidentally learned stuff. I mean, I just always wished I could be that way. And uh, he came in one day, and I always liked him. But he did kind of remind me of Brutus on uh, Popeye, you know, the way he looked. And then one day he walks in, the professor said, How's your church doing? He said, Good, good. I'm holding their feet to the fire. And man, when he said that, something went off with inside of me that has never left. I could picture, I don't know where he pastored, in some church somewhere. But I could just visualize his congregation wondering if somehow they were going to lose it and go into hell. Because he was preaching and leading in such a way that they wondered, am I saved or not? Am I secure or not? Am I accepted or not? And I want to tell you, you can't grow a church like that. It's impossible to walk in the Spirit under that kind of teaching. It's impossible. You'll walk in performance and walk in bondage. Another reason that people doubt their salvation is not only personal sin and wrong teaching, whether it's liberal or performance teaching, but thirdly is emotionalism. And boy, we really see that in this day, don't we? You could go to a worship service in places all over this city. You could probably hear the music before you got to the parking lot. And I ask people this, what's going to happen if someday we lose electricity? Are we going to stop worshiping God? I mean, we don't have to have electricity to worship God. I was reading about Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was a, a famous preacher many years ago. He said, I was traveling out west, traveling in my car and out west looking at things. I pulled into a service station. Man came out. And that's back in the days when they friendly wiped your windows to pump gas. And he was pumping his gas and he was singing, How Great Thou Art, while he was pumping gas. So Donald Gray Barnhouse went back there and he said, well, you know the same Savior that I know, don't you? He said, excuse me? Donald Gray Barnhouse looked at him and said, you're a Christian, aren't you? He said, well, no, I'm not a Christian. He said, I don't really know what a Christian is. He said, why are you singing that old hymn? He said, my grandmother used to sing that when she washed dishes. And I've always loved it. And I hum it all the time. And he said, well, how can you not be a Christian and know that song? And he said, nobody's ever told me how to be a Christian. Do you realize you can love the old hymns? You can love the new praise songs and be as lost as you can be. has nothing to do with worship, emotionalism. I want to feel something. 
not so much looking for truth, but I'm looking for an experience. And sometimes people that are caught up in this, they doubt their salvation. Why? Because the only time I feel close to God is when I'm down there and my pastor's preaching hot and heavy and the music's at its highest level. I feel like I'm close to God. You know, that's so sad because all that noise makes me want to go somewhere where it's quiet because that's when I hear him the best. So they live their lives manipulating their feelings and emotions with music and movies and all that appeals to the five senses that's going to the grave. That means they're subjective people. Hardships destroy them instead of conforming them to the image of Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying is they're so emotional and wrapped up in themselves that, yes, they're going to doubt their salvation. Why? Because if there's not a lot of hype and things that I can taste and feel and see and hear, he must not be there. And so they doubt their salvation because of emotionalism. Someone sent me uh, this note some time ago, and it says this. I want to tell you, thank you. I am growing in my faith as a direct result of your teachings. I was saved when I was in the third grade, but I never grew spiritually. I know that was my fault. I never looked forward to going to church when I was younger. I was turned off by preachers standing up on stage, bellowing scripture until they were red in the face and hoarse. I visited a few churches with my friends around town, but I'm telling you, some of those churches were scary. One church in particular, the preacher did everything but have a seizure behind the pulpit. He was screaming and crying and repeating himself over and over, and it was a complete fiasco. It was like they were putting on a circus show for Jesus instead of worshiping him the way I felt the Spirit telling me I should. You know, you're right when you said that you can choose to break fellowship with God, but he never leaves you. I could hear the Holy Spirit inside of me guiding me. I knew that I had no business in a church like that. He told me to get away from all that, and he didn't have to tell me twice. I went to a more contemporary church with a friend of mine for a while. I didn't like it. Everything was so flashy and loud and felt like a rock concert. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Everyone else loved it. Well, I can tell you the reason, because the wide road leads to destruction, and many are on it. That's the reason. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Everyone else loved it. But it was not what the Holy Spirit was calling me for. I am completely, utterly, and hopelessly old-fashioned. I don't care for the contemporary rock music. Give me the Baptist hymnal. I don't want to hear self-help messages from Dr. Phil Wannabes. I want to hear the Word of God straight from the Bible. I even like the old wooden pews, too, preferably with a cushion, but I'll take it either way. <laughs> I desperately needed someone to minister to me and help me get on track. You came along and helped me to realize who I am in Christ. You have encouraged me and helped me to begin to grow. Thank you. That's what's going on in the world. That's what's going on in our churches. And there lies some of the doubt of salvation, emotionalism. And so another reason that people doubt their salvation is they have a weak faith in God's word. A weak faith in God's Word. God says in His Word in Romans chapter 10, 9, 10, and 13, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whoever 
calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. This is the question. It's that simply put. Do you believe that Jesus Christ became your sin and completely died with all of your sin, past, present, future? Completely died with it. He is your substitute. And do you put your trust in that act on Calvary's cross alone for your salvation? The question is, do you believe this? What if you don't feel it inside? What if you don't feel it inside? It is still true. Why? Because it it comes from the Word of God. And if you have a weak faith in God's Word, that's possibly where your personal doubt lies. It's because you've never really spent time reading the Word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to illumine your mind and strengthen your faith. You say, how can I increase my faith? Romans 10, 17 says, So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. One way to overcome your doubt is to increase your faith in the Word of God. And that comes by listening to it, reading, and opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit of God. The witness of the Spirit is another evidence that you are saved. Another reason people doubt their salvation is there's pressure from Satan, yes, but also from self. I call them the three musketeers. Me, myself, and I. A lot of what we blame Satan on is not Satan. It's me. It's self. Sometimes you hear this tape recorder go off with inside of you. Look at your past. You've been too bad. Or you're too old. You have sinned too long. It's too late for you. But I remind you what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things, those whispers, those things that you've done in the past, those things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not, listen to this, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You may hear whisper either from Satan or from self inside of you. You're too old. You sin too much. You remember what you did back there? I want to remind you of this. Think about this now. When you became a child of God, God took you out of Adam. He placed you in Christ Jesus. Christ never had a beginning. He never has an end. Christ is eternal. And so therefore, you've been placed inside of Christ who has no beginning and has no end. So therefore, you're in Christ Jesus, who has no beginning and who has no end. Your past is new, your present is new, and your future is new. Because you're in Christ Jesus, who's eternal. That's how God can say, your sins I've put away from you as far as the east is from the west, and as deep as the oceans. Though your sins be as scarred, they shall be as white as snow. The reason is because He has put you in Christ Jesus who has a perfect past, present, and future, and you've been declared righteous, not based on how your behavior and your performance and how you dress and what you do and all these things. You've been declared righteous because of what He did with you on the cross. Period. And so, how a person can be sure of their salvation? I'm going to go through this quick. You say, I see the reasons I doubt it. The reasons I've doubted are personal sin, wrong teaching, whether it's been liberalism or performance teaching. I've also seen that emotionalism can make me doubt and a weak faith in God's Word and pressure from Satan and self. 
Well, how can a person be sure of their salvation? Tell me that. The reason a person can be sure. Number one, it's God's will for you to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. What did He do? He gave Himself a ransom for how many? All. To be testified in due time. One reason you can know that you're saved, number one, God's not in heaven like this with His arms folded saying, Maybe and maybe not. Maybe and maybe not. Maybe and maybe. He's not doing that. You can know this. It's already and always has been and always will be His desire that you be saved. He's not withholding anything so that you might not be saved. He desires you all the way into the grave to be saved. It is His desire. Second Peter 3, nine says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Listen to this. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God desires for you to be saved. But not only that, God's provision. Not only does He desire it, but He's done something so that it can happen. Matthew twenty twenty eight says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom. What does that mean? Substitute for many. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, Who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So, God desires for you to be saved. Not only that, He's made complete provision by the death of His Son on the cross for you to be saved. What must you do? Believe. Some people call it trust. Some people call it faith. I just call it like a child, simply believing in what the Word of God says about salvation. Just believe. Rest in it. Faith. What does faith mean? Forsaking all, I trust Him. 1 John 1, 11 and 12 says, He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John three thirty six says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 5, 24 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes, I'm saying believe and believe and believe and believe. What is believe? Trust. What's trust? Faith. What would God have me do? He would have you to look at the cross, know that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And put all your childlike trust, hope, faith, belief, not hope, but belief, in what Christ did on the cross, to the degree you say, I just fall back into His loving arms. He's either going to let me fall and hit, or He's going to catch me. And I can tell you this, you can trust Him according to the Word of God. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. And you can know this, what He did on the cross with His Son Jesus. He did it for you. Why? It was His desire for you to be saved. It was His provision for you to be saved. All you must do is believe. It's that simple. It's not hard. The last thing is this. You need to observe these things in your life. Number one, the Word of God. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart, one believes, notice that word again, unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You have to say, do I believe it or not? Not what others you trust tell you. Don't trust me. Trust what the Word of God says. 
You have to say, do I believe what the Word of God says about salvation? And then, the witness of the Holy Spirit. Observe this in your life. Do I believe what the Word of God says about salvation? I'm going to put my whole eternal destiny in that. Number two, observe, do I see the Spirit of God in me? 1 John 5.10 says, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of him. 1 John 4.13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us of his Spirit. Romans 8.15 says, For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Listen. Do you believe the Word of God, what it says about salvation? Do you even now, are you experiencing and hearing the still small voice of the Holy Spirit within you as you walk along with Him? Third and last, are you being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Would you say that you're more like Christ today than you were when you were first saved? Romans 8.29 says, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. If you're a child of God, you have a desire to grow more intimate with God. You desire to talk and to listen to other Christians. You desire to serve God out of a heart of love. You find yourself naturally involved in the things of God and His people. You sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you sin. If you're a child of God, there's going to be some change in your life. Now, I'm not saying that I'm an official fruit inspector. I don't believe in that. I know a lot of people think they're fruit inspectors. They're Pharisees what they are. But listen, there should be something there. For a long time in my life, you've heard my testimony, I drifted in the Christian life. But I can say this, all during that time where I was just kind of drifting, not spending time in God's Word, not going to church anywhere, not really praying much, I can honestly say this, I had the Holy Spirit within me nudging me forward, nudging me, saying, Chris, Chris, Confess, repent, Chris. I always had that. That never left me. That's how I knew I really was a child of God. It was the witness of the Spirit for me. You may be doubting your salvation this morning. I don't know. I can tell you this. That doubt will clear up if you'll just simply choose. I'm going to place Him first in my life. I'm going to begin again to read God's Word, spend time in prayer, and I'm going to consciously walk in an attitude of prayer I'm going to practice the presence of God wherever I am. That doubt will go away. Or the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come so strong, He'll lead you to salvation if you are lost. Amen. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.